Well, good evening. Good to have you here with us. Uh, you can open your Bible with me. We're going to learn, we're going to read all of Proverbs, uh, uh, Proverbs chapter 2, but we're going to kind of do a flyover with Proverbs 1. So if you want to take a moment to get there. If we haven't met yet, my name's Travis, and I'm a pastor in Redding, California at a church called Valley Christian Family. And I was once pulled over by the police for driving too slow. So, uh, <laughs> Big story behind that, but uh, yeah, I don't know if anybody else is, no, no, too fast, others. Uh, so we're working through Proverbs. We, um, the series we just titled Good Life, uh, it's really that, that God offers blessing as those who would walk in his wisdom, who would grow in his wisdom. Uh, we, can, we can advance, we can grow in the art of life, of living well, of making choices um, according to God's word. And so uh, as we do this, again, I don't want to force you this, but I just hope our posture is this prayer. I, I say, and you can say this after me out loud. You can say it in your heart. It's up to you, but let this be our posture. Father, teach us from your word tonight. Amen. So last night, we learned from Proverbs 1, 1 through 7. We just went through seven verses. Tonight, we're going to go through uh, quite a few more. Uh, but we learned that the first and foundational principle of wisdom is rooted in the fear of the Lord. And we talked about that sometimes confusing statement, but a good statement. It is the proper response um, to God and, and worshipful submission and reverence and awe that we would have the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord also has a moral uh, aspect to it, that to fear the Lord means that we shun evil and we turn toward God's righteousness, that we might walk in ways that are righteous, that are justice, uh, that are just, and that are fair or, or in equity. Um, and so uh, just a little bit of, um, to get us to chapter two, I kind of want to fly over, um, I always want to point there, fly over Proverbs, oh, I got to turn it on. It's one of those kinds. Um, Proverbs 1, uh, we, uh, the, the review, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And I just want to fly over to get us to chapter 2, verses 10 through 17. We have a father who is urging his son. In fact, most of the um, chapters in Proverbs 1 through 9 is a father speaking to his son. We'll talk about that. That is a concrete situation that has a broad application. Um, it isn't just for sons. It is for daughters as well. We, uh, uh, we'll talk more about concreteness in a moment. Um, but in verse 10, he, he says words like this. He says, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Don't go their way. He talks about how they, they lie in wait for innocent blood. They're looking to, to, uh, to kill, to send people to the grave. And if they invite you, don't go with them. Verse 15, he tells his son, do not walk in the way with them because they are habitual wrongdoers. Uh, he's encouraging his son and all of us as readers and listeners to consider the company we keep. Um, and this is the first time in Proverbs where we're going to hear the often repeated metaphor of the path or the way, and that we get to choose our path. You chose a path today. You will choose a path tomorrow. And, and the way or the path represents your behavior, your conduct, and your conduct matters. Your character matters. And so the way or the path is your chosen course of life, and you can choose paths that are crooked. 
or you can choose paths that are uh, righteous and, and, and just, and they are just, and they are fair. Well, he talks about these men, these, these friends, verse 16, their feet rush into evil. Verse 18, he says, these men, he's talking to his son, they lie in wait for their own blood. They're, they think these, these men think they're ambushing someone else and they're only ambushing their own life. Uh, parents, you might know this when we're teaching our kids on why to make wise decisions because what the father is appealing to is his son's own self-interest. He's saying, son, uh, it is bad news for you if you're gonna go that direction, which is interesting because I would think, you know, wisdom would say, don't ambush an innocent person because, you know, don't harm an innocent person because that's not right, that's not good for them. The father appeals to his son's own self-interest. Son, do you want to live? Do you want life? Then don't go the way of the, these evil men. Now in verse 20, we're introduced to a, a new character um, and, and she's given the word lady wisdom or woman wisdom. She's not called that in Proverbs. That's sort of our way of identifying her. Um, and, and here in verse 20 and, and throughout Proverbs in a few different places, God's wisdom is gonna speak and gonna call out. And it's, and, and it's personified as a woman. Personification is uh, when we give um, abstract ideas or things, we give them uh, human qualities, right? Um, when we talk about trees that clap their hands. Trees don't really clap their hands. We're giving personification. Or when we say, you know, my stomach does not agree with spicy food. Uh, that's giving our stomach some personification. Well, God's wisdom here is personified as a woman who was walking the streets and calling out to anyone who would listen. And so uh, verse 20, he, and I'm just dropping in a couple of verses here. Wisdom cries aloud in the streets. Do I have verse 20 up there? Uh, in the markets, she raises her voice. Um, and I'll keep reading it on the screen. Um, at the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. Again, this is not God. This is the wisdom of God. She cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. She is in the public places. She, wisdom isn't just speaking at the universities or, or for the highly educated. Wisdom is speaking at ground level, calling out to anyone who would follow and heed God's wisdom. Verse 22, she says, uh, Lady Wisdom, how long will fools hate knowledge? Verse 23, if you turn or if you repent at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Wisdom is calling out to you today. And will you turn from it? Or will you turn toward the wisdom of God? And if so, God will make his wisdom known to you. And so this is very hopeful for us, for each one of us, that we can turn, we can repent, we can turn away from foolishness and turn to God in his wisdom. Some of us that have lived a number of years, I imagine you can think of some foolish things you have done some foolish paths you have taken, and hopefully you have turned from those. You can't erase those, but you have set a different course for your life, which is now affecting 
your family and your grandkids and others as well. Those that are young, um, you have a choice on which path, the paths that you're going to walk. And do you hear God calling you out in his wisdom? Verse 24, though, sort of a sad turn. Lady Wisdom says, but because I have called and you've refused to listen, I have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. Verse 25, because you've ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. These are verbs of personal rejection. God's wisdom calls out, but people have the choice of whether they will receive God's wisdom or whether they will reject. And right now, Lady Wisdom is lamenting that she's been calling out, but these are all words of personal choice. You've refused, you have not heeded, you have ignored, you have none of my reproof. This is the fool's choice. This is the path they have chosen to walk, and maybe some of us have chosen to walk as well. It is not their fate that they are a fool. You can't just say, you know, it's just my fate. I was just born this way. According to Proverbs, it is their fault that they are a fool. It is in their wheel, uh, not wheelhouse, it is in within their realm of action, and they have chosen to be hard-hearted toward the wisdom of God. We can't blame it on someone else. Well, you don't know who I was raised by. You don't know where I live. No, no, no. This is your choice. Verse 26, um, so, and this is harsh right here, but let it hit. Let's not soften these words. Lady Wisdom, still speaking. Verse 26, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. I'm not gonna try to soften these words at all. This is Lady Wisdom who's been calling out. And when people do not heed, do not listen to her reproof, and they bring calamity upon themselves, wisdom will stand in opposition to their choices. Lady Wisdom is angry and unyielding in the face of evil and injustice. And she celebrates the triumph of right over wrong. And it's not that woman wisdom or Lady Wisdom is heartless, but that she exposes the absurdity of despising God's wisdom and choosing evil instead. Wisdom will not coddle us when we reject her um, and, and just pat us on the back and say, there, there, it's okay. You were doing the best you could. When we turn our back upon the wisdom of God and we bring upon hardship, wisdom stands in opposition um, I won't go into details. I, I remember a day, uh, my junior year in high school, I had a one-day relationship <laughs> with a girl. Uh, we started dating like in one day. Um, and I was kind of excited. And the next day, I'm talking with my friend uh, and just talking the way that me and my best friend, we were both Christians, uh, talking like we always talked about girls and just very vulgar and my intentions. And, and it wasn't anything I meant, but it's just how we joked. And we were joking in the bleachers of watching a volleyball game and another girl overheard us and she was disgusted. She was hurt and offended. I was a Christian leader on that campus. Um, she took my words to that girl and she told him and, and that girl told a bunch of other people and I was confronted uh, because of my words. In fact, I, I, I denied it. I'm like, no, I, I would never say something like that. And my friend said later, Trav, remember, we were joking, you know, how we were talking. 
And uh, she, that's girl, let me tell you, the relationship ended that day. Uh, she did not talk to me the rest of my uh, time in high school. Many other friends turned against me as well because of what I had said. And rather than admitting wisdom, godly wisdom would be to say, you know what, I admit, I had spoken out of turn. I didn't, I just denied, 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 tried to save my reputation. And, and I faced lots of consequences there. And I don't think wisdom was c- consoling me and comforting me. Wisdom was saying, this is your choice. A- you are eating the fruit of your own decision. Now, repentance is still available and open. And, and so wisdom stands against evil in all of its forms. However, the intention of Lady Wisdom here is to spur present action. She pleads Remember the verse, she's pleading with people to turn, to listen to her reproof. And so here's the conclusion of chapter one, and I'll just read verse 29 uh, through the end, through 33. This is Lady's Wisdom's conclusion of the matter in chapter one. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is not just something that comes upon you as well. This is a choice that you would choose to be a God-fearing man or a God-fearing woman. Because they did not choose the fear of the Lord, verse 30, would have none of my counsel and and despised all my reproof, verse 31, therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices, just like I did my junior year. Verse 32, for the simple are killed by their turning away. Remember, the simple are people who are immature. They're unformed um, in their decision of whether they're going to go the way of God or or go their own way. Um, The simple are killed by their own turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. Do you hear uh, this wisdom of us speaking, saying, look ahead to your path. You can bring destruction upon yourself, or you can bring blessing upon you and others But verse 33, there's a bit of a turn. But whoever listens to me, this is Lady Wisdom, whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. I think that's what a lot of us are praying for. (laughs) That that as we look, many of us fear bad news. Uh, We're worried about disaster. Now, remember, we learn in the book of Proverbs that the wise and the righteous, they still suffer. Uh, We're not impervious to that at all. And yet, those who listen to to the wisdom of God, who posture themselves to, to walk in the ways of the Lord, will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Um, And and this is going to transition us into our teaching into chapter 2, which I've just titled chapter 2, Guarded by Wisdom. That wisdom is a safeguard, a covering over us. Um, Among the many things that my dad taught me, um, he taught me about mousetraps. When I was young, we had mice in our garage, and some of these mice were ending up in the kitchen. We didn't want them anymore, so my dad, I was pretty young, he set a bunch of mouse traps in the house and in the garage, and he did something brilliant. And, uh, and he took my brother and I, my brother's older, and he took us to the garage, and my dad set a mouse trap for us. And then he went first and took a butter knife, and he put the butter knife on the, the catch or where the bait was, And and that trap snapped that butter knife out of his hand. But then he did something else. He gave me a Bic pen. I remember it was a Bic 
pen. He set the trap again so that my own hands would, would release the catch with that, you know, five-inch pen, too close for my comfort. But I remember being in there that day, and he wanted me to feel the power of that mousetrap, not upon my hands, but upon that pen. And when I did, it smashed and obliterated the pen in my hands. And my dad said something to the effect, now, Trav, don't ever put your fingers near the catch of a mousetrap. Showed me how to grab it. And I'll tell you, that, that teaching right there stuck with me. And I knew that as I was playing, I'd see a mousetrap to stay away. My dad gave me a piece of knowledge that if applied, would guard and protect my precious fingers. God gives us warning and instruction to keep us from harming ourselves. God wants you to live and he wants you to flourish. Some of my biggest questions happened when I was 16, 17, 18, 19, and I was asking and praying about my life. And I, and I said, God, I want to live a successful life. I just didn't know how to define success quite yet at that time. I thought it might be money. I thought it might be fame. Um, I thought it might be things. And I, I was learning through this time that no success, a successful life is one that, that points others to Christ. One that, that enjoys what I have, uh, that, that finds contentment and brings glory to God. And, and I had this choice of where I would look to find life. God wants us to live. And I don't think it means just live as in that, that you know, I have a pulse right now. I have, there's biological signs that tell you I'm alive, but that doesn't mean I'm truly living, Right? I think life is, is relationship and our bent and, our, and the work that we get to do unto the Lord. God wants us to live, and the difference between a good life or between the good life and the foolish life is the voice that you choose to listen to, the people you choose to follow. And so Proverbs 2, let's read, uh, I'll, I'll read 1 through 6. We begin with this, uh, my son, so it's a father speaking, my son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, verse three, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, verse four, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, Verse 5, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. So let's just uh, kind of go back over some of the words here. Uh, my son. Again, here we have another example of the concreteness that this is. And, and, and let me say this to you, uh, and this might uh, hit you a little different. Maybe it won't. The Bible was not written to you, it was written for you. The Bible was not written to me, it was written for me. Uh, what I mean is the Bible had an original audience. When Paul penned his letter to the church at Philippi, it had an intended audience. It was the church at Philippi. So it wasn't written to you, it was written for you. Uh, and so even here, Proverbs, there is a concrete relationship going on between a father, even the mother is there, we read in Proverbs 1.8, and a father teaching his son. That is a concrete, you know, um, particular uh, setting 
that has but a concrete, that's the concreteness, but it has broad application. So nobody in here that's a daughter or a female could sit here and say, well, then this doesn't apply to me because this is just a father speaking to a son. No, it is a concrete uh, relationship that has broad application. There's a proverb, uh, maybe it's, uh, let me, here's another example of concreteness. Oh, oh, where is it? 22. Let me see here. I can't remember the reference now, um, it, but it, it, it's verse one in one of the chapters. Someone can help me out and they find it. Uh, dishonest scales are an abomination to God, um, but accurate weights uh, are the Lord's delight. Dishonest scales. Um, and, and right there, that is a concrete example. Anybody, anybody know that one or can help me out? It's verse one. What chapter? 11. Oh, wow. I missed it. 11, one. There's a concrete. So um, if we were to try to say, well, what is this proverb? What is this wisdom teaching us? Scales, weights. It has to do with business dealings, right? Imagine, and you know how people would swindle others saying, okay, I'm going to sell you a pound of corn, but I, I, I rig my scales or my weights to where it registers a pound, but it's really only eight ounces and I charge you for a pound. Uh, that is dishonest um, business dealings. And it says that's an abomination to God. It means it turns God's stomach. But accurate weights that are just and true, equity, um, that is God's delight. So it is a concrete example, right? But listen, in my line of work, I don't use scales and weights. Maybe you're a mechanic and you don't use scales and weights. So can you say, well, then that proverb doesn't apply to me. Yes, it does. It uses a concrete example of scales and weights, and you apply that to your own context. And so we're going to need to do that even later today because there's concrete discussion between a father to his son about some of the dangers that his son will experience, but our female readers take that and apply it to their own context. So it's a father speaking to his son. Um, concreteness, a specific situation that has broad application. You can uh, test me. Uh, I learned this in seminary with the title concreteness. Now, as I go back, I'm not seeing that title used. It might be in literary terms used as something else, but I'm just going to go with what I learned with. I call it concreteness. Um, secondly, uh, notice in here, we talked about last night, Hebrew poetry is different than our poetry. It's not based on rhyme. Even if it did rhyme in Hebrew, we would probably lose that in our translation in English. But there's always a thought rhyme. The second part of the line will rhyme in a way that it will emphasize the first part. It could be synonymous. It could say it in a different way, or it could be um, in contrast but in this chapter, every single verse in chapter two, um, you will see parallelism, parallelism in each verse, where the second line emphasizes, restates, or echoes, and even takes the first line further. So listen, verse one, my son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments within you, those are, those are kind of synonymous um, secondly, making your ear attentive to wisdom and your heart uh, to understanding it. It's, it's re-emphasizing it. If you call out for insight, and verse three, and raise your voice for understanding. You see there's this pattern in every verse in chapter two. If you seek it like silver, well, what does that mean? Well, if you search for it as for hidden treasures, okay, it's unpacking every, the first line. You will understand, verse five, the fear of the Lord and you will find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Um, 
Lastly, we're going to see in this chapter the conditional. You know, when we read, we look for repeated words. There's words like if and if and if then, right? There's conditional. If we choose this course, this will be the result. And if then as well. So let's go to verse one again. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments within you, God's word is to be not just received, but treasured or stored up. Your Bible version might say, if you store up my commands within you. So to treasure up or store implies that most of the teaching you might be even hearing tonight is not immediately used, but it is stored. And it is used, uh, it is internalized now to be used later. I, I know in talking with one of my family members years ago, they gave up on reading the Bible because they said, whenever I open it, it doesn't speak to me today. I'm looking for a specific answer right now. You know, should I take I-5 or should I take the 405? God, you know, we open the Bible. God didn't tell me which one to take. It doesn't apply to me in this situation. No, but we, we see God is revealing himself to us. He's revealing wisdom that if we receive it and store it up, it will be used in its proper time. Storing up God's commands, treasuring God's commands today will develop attitudes that will influence your future actions, which means that we study now um, and the benefits we will reap day after day. But some of us, and I, and I know we have this attitude, well, you know, I don't really need to study it now because in the situation, I will rise to the occasion. <laughs> when, there, when I'm tempted in some way, I'll just rise to the occasion. Someone said this to me, it was in a secular context, but I, I believe it's truth. They said, you know, you don't rise to the occasion, you fall back on your training. When those situations, those controversies, or that, that invitation to evil comes your way, you don't just rise to that occasion, you fall back on your training. It's sports, right? Some of us are only game day players. We just want to wear the uniform on game day. We don't want to show up to practice. You guys know Allen Iverson, the player, great basketball player, famous for one of his interviews where he was missing practice. And he's like, practice? You're talking about practice? You know, you don't even want to talk about the game. You're talking about practice? Practice? And he says practice like 30 times. He can't even believe that practice is a big deal. Yes, practice is a big deal. You don't rise to the occasion. You fall back on your training. Why do we read God's word each, each and every day? You don't just read it in the moment that you need it. We are storing up God's commands. And when those situations come, we fall back on our training. We fall back on God's word that we have, have internalized. Verse three, yes, if you call out for insight, if you raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, Search for it like you do. If I lose a $5 coffee gift card, I am tearing my house apart. That's gold, right? Well, what if we have that same perspective towards the wisdom, the, the, the knowledge of God, that we would tear it, or we, we would have this posture toward it. Now listen, this is what's interesting, because in chapter one, Lady Wisdom walked in the streets and called out to everybody in the public squares at the gates of the city. But here we learn that God's wisdom, his insight and understanding is to be sought after like treasure. Like, like, like you are searching for it. God's wisdom is treasure and it holds great value. Therefore, great effort and sacrifice must be expended to obtain silver and treasure. Wisdom doesn't just fall into your lap. You look for it. You cry out for it. 
uh, you, you wrestle for it. Then, if you call out and you, you seek for it, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Now remember, in Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord was the, is the beginning of knowledge. It's the foundation, the first and controlling principle of all wisdom and knowledge is the fear of the Lord. And here in Proverbs 2.5, fear of the Lord is the goal of knowledge as well. It is the, the, uh, the treasure we receive that we have proper um, relationship with and, and worship towards the Lord. For the Lord, verse 6, sorry, uh, verse 6, for the Lord, I'm going to catch up. For the Lord gives wisdom. Where is wisdom found? It is from the Lord. He gives it. Seeking wisdom involves hard work and devotion, but we don't earn wisdom. It is a gift that God gives to those who search and who call out for it, those who hunger and thirst for understanding. And that's, a, that's exactly where I'm at right now. I, when they hired me as a, a lead pastor two years ago, I said, you're hiring a man that's never been a lead pastor before, but I'm ready to learn to be a senior pastor. And, and I'm, I'm searching, because not because I understand it or get it, because I'm, I'm asking God for wisdom each and every day, and I'm making mistakes, and I'm learning from them, and, and, and there's that constant pursuit. When I became a husband on January 13th, 1996, um, I in name became a husband that day, but every day since, I'm learning to become a husband. You may, have, you may have become saved on a certain day. You trusted Christ. You repented. Uh, you follow him. And every day after, you are becoming what you are and standing, that we continue to grow. Verse 7, um, and we'll keep moving on Verse uh, to you, and, and the parallelism here is fantastic. For he, the Lord, that's who uh, we refer to in verse 6, for the Lord stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. Uh, we, uh, those who walk in integrity. He is a shield. Verse eight, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Who guards the path of the justice? Who, who are we referring to? Who guards? The Lord. Who watches over the way of his saints? You can say it. The Lord. That's our, right here in verse seven and eight, but let's keep reading. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity every good path. Verse 10, for wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. You will be pleased uh, in, in God's knowledge and wisdom. Verse 11, discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. Wait a minute. <laughs> what do we read in verse eight? Uh, verse seven, eight, who is a shield? The Lord is a shield. Who guards who watches over? The Lord does. But in verse 11, it's discretion that will watch over you and understanding will guard you. We learn that there is protection and there is safety in walking the ways of the Lord. And we see here, so I wonder, well, wait a minute. And now discretion, that may be a word we don't use very often. The discretion is the quality of thinking through the consequences of an action, and then choosing the right way, choosing the way of integrity. Man, discretion is gold. If you're looking to, to partner up with someone in marriage, someone who has discretion, uh, who, who can look ahead, right? So who guards us? Who makes our way secure? Who shields us? Is it God 
Or is it our own character and discretion and understanding? And I believe the answer is yes. Yes. The Lord shields us as he grows this. Uh, Bruce Waltke, and I think he explains this well. If that confused you, the character that comes from being formed by wisdom is the means by which God protects or guards people committed to him. That God grows us in our character uh, and our discretion and our prudence and our wisdom. And then we make decisions that, that protect us and our family. That God is growing us. God grows you to make better choices if you are submitted to his wisdom and you are searching out for it. 12 years old, I get invited to uh, camp out overnight in the backyard of my neighbor's house, just like right across the fence. Uh, my neighbors, these boys, they were like 15 and 16 years old. I was 12, and they invited another friend, Kent, who was about 15 or so. And I'm like, okay, I'll go camp, I'll camp out in your backyard. Uh, and the reason why we were camping out is because his mom and dad, uh, they, they were having a party and a bunch of friends over. Uh, and, and while we're camping and we're, we're getting ready to go to sleep and this and that, these older boys get a, a, a brilliant idea, they think. They say, hey, let's go moon my mom and dad's friends. If you're not familiar with the term moon, uh, where, you know, let's go bare our backsides at the sliding glass window. Trav, let's do this. I'm 12 years old. They're older. It just took me a second to think through that. And I'm like, nah, <laughs> There's nothing good in bearing my backside. You know, I'm not, let's, I'm not going to do it. They're, come on. And they're, they're, they're pleading with me. No, I'm like, no way. I'm not doing it. So they decide to go and do it. These three guys, they do their deed. They come back and they're giggling and they're laughing for like one minute. Uh, their mom, the, these teenage boys, she was the scariest person I've probably still ever met in my life. I was always afraid of her. She comes out and she's yelling, Michael, Brian, get out here right now. Come on, these boys are like 15 or 16. She has a wooden spoon. She has them pull down their underwear, uh, which they were happy to do earlier. And so she, pulls down, she spanks them both. Like they're 15 and 16 years old. He has his driver's license. And, and I'm in there listening to this. She spanks him. Then she says to the other boy, Kent, I'm calling your mom. Travis, you did nothing. You're fine. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there warm in my sleeping bag. And no kidding, these teenagers cry themselves to sleep. It was the most awkward night. I'm like, dear Lord, make me a bird. Help me fly far, far away. I mean, it's just the worst thing in the world. My house, I can see my house. They cry themselves to sleep, and I'm good. And now let me ask you, who, who protected me that night? Did God protect me? I think we can say yes. How did he protect me? He gave me an ounce of discretion to say there's nothing good there. And my decision protected me, that God is growing us. Let that continue on and on to, to, to grow. Now, in, in verse 12 through 15, the father says how wisdom will protect his son from two specific threats to his son's well-being. We're going to get very particular uh, tonight. The first threat is wicked friends, wicked, wicked men specifically in the, the context here. He says this discretion. So the verse right before, right, discretion and understanding will guard you and protect you. That was the previous verse. Verse 12, they will deliver you or delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech. Maybe your translation says from, from wicked men. 
verse 13, describes the, the, the wicked men uh, who forsake the paths of uprightness, who, to walk in the ways of darkness. Verse 14, men who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil. Verse 15, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. Concrete, father to a son, women, you can, you, uh, we can take this and say, who are the friends, who are the people that invite us to take crooked paths? Wisdom and discretion that night in the tent protected me from that path. They will guard over and watch over. Discretion and understanding will save you from those who invite you to leave the path that is upright, to join them on crooked paths. Wisdom, we learn, will remove the sun from evil associations. And I get it. Uh, well, shouldn't we have friendships with people of the world, people who walk crooked paths? Yes, 100% yes. Shouldn't we be light in dark places? Yes, of course. But we become like those we link arms with as well. Our core friendships. Uh, man, I played, uh, I told you I played volleyball at, at a Cal State University. Um, 12 men, but two other Christians alongside me. The greatest buddies. We roomed together. We, we were uh, encouraging one another. And it kept me from some of the paths that the rest of the volleyball team w w was inviting us on. But we had strength together. Let the wisdom of God save you from joining others in dark ways. And you know, and that, that's in the church too. That's at a Christian camp as well. People who are just bent toward uh, deviousness, right? Who aren't postured towards the Lord. Hang out with those who delight in straight paths and who, who delight in the knowledge of God, who find it pleasant to do what is right and just and fair. In fact, be that friend. Be that friend that points others, even your other believers that speaks up and says, hey, uh, dude, that, that's just you know, out of line. Um, the second threat that we read here um, in Proverbs 2 is that, the, that wisdom and discretion will save the son from what's referred to as the forbidden woman. Uh, the Forbidden Woman. You guys remember, that always reminds me of The Forbidden Dance. Uh, there was this movie, I think, when I was like in the 80s or 90s, The Lombada. You guys ever, no, maybe never heard The Lombada. It was called The Forbidden Dance. And they had a movie, like The Forbidden Dance. I was so concerned. I'm like, uh, what if I've done The Forbidden Dance? You know, and I don't know. I should watch the movie so I know what The Forbidden Dance is. But if I watch the movie, then I might want to do The Forbidden Dance. It was a really spiritual dilemma. I didn't see the movie. Um, and I'll just pray that God forgives me if I've ever done the forbidden dance. The forbidden woman. He will keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulterous woman. Now listen, um, this was considered to be probably one of the greatest dangers for uh, the son of the father because this woman is gonna be introduced here in a couple of verses. We're just gonna kind of uh, graze over that a little bit, fly over. But she, is, she dominates all of chapter five she dominates all of chapter seven and she dominates half of chapter six. There is more verses given to this forbidden woman than even Lady Wisdom. Why is the father spending so much energy toward his son? Because I think he sees it as one of the greatest, that, that sexual integrity or sexual deviousness um, is probably one of the greatest temptations and, and maybe one of the biggest downfalls that's awaiting his son. And so again, let's use this concrete as we read it. It's not just that there are forbidden uh, women. <laughs> we, we take this in our own context 
anybody who is inviting you toward illicit sexual behavior. Uh, anyone inviting you to their bed, but this is someone who you are not joined with in marriage. Um, and so again, uh, I say, women, these words must be applied to your situation. It's a father warning his daughter, no matter how old you are, of the adulterous man, the one who would seduce you into illicit romantic behavior, romantic behavior that is outside the marriage covenant of one man and one woman. So we'll dive in more because I think Proverbs 5 is some of my favorite. We'll get to that in a few nights uh, where not only is there caution, but man, it is some of the greatest apologetic for God's design for, for marriage. And it's beautiful. It's something that we need to all put on our playlist. But let's just kind of be introduced to her in verse 16 through 19. So yes, wisdom and discretion will deliver you, verse 12, from the, the way of, of evil, from men of perverted speech. Verse 16, wisdom and discretion uh, you need because so you will be delivered um, from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. Notice it's not her looks, it, it's her speech. It's what she says. Verse 17, we learn a little bit about this woman, uh, the, the forbidden woman, the adulteress. Verse 17, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. Verse 18, for her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. Wisdom and discretion will protect the son from the foolishness and the consequences of adultery and the serious consequences of infidelity. Um, I'll say this now. We'll say it again when we hit Proverbs 5 because maybe some of you won't be with us that night. But this word forbidden, uh, your Bible, anybody have a Bible that has a different uh, term, a different address for this woman other than forbidden woman? Shout it out. Immoral. Immoral. And another word, anybody else? Strange woman. Yes. Wayward. The seductress, this comes up again, uh, uh, these words come up, but the literal word, and maybe your Bible has a footnote, it it is uh, the, uh, the strange woman or the foreign woman. And now this doesn't mean foreign in the sense that she's of another race. In fact, we learned earlier that she has a covenant to her God, um, and, and we think even later that, that it's, it's the God of Israel. So it's not about that she's foreign um, in, in her ethnicity, but she's strange. She's a stranger. She's a stranger to his son's marriage covenant. She's an outsider. She's a foreigner to his marriage covenant. We learn later that we think that the son is either married or he's preparing for marriage. And he says, but it's not that woman. And we, we look at verse 17. She forsakes the companion of her youth, which is most likely referring to her husband, that she is married. She belongs to someone else. She is out of bounds. She's viewed from the vantage point of the son. She's foreign, strange, unauthorized, forbidden because he's not married to her. Women, anybody that you are not married to, that is a strange man, a forbidden man, unauthorized, uh, a foreigner to your marriage covenant. And God says that is out of bounds. Those are crooked paths. But God lays out a straight path for romance. And I'll tell you, I think God has our best in mind for our love life, and I want to seek him out. It's going to take patience and discipline and trust. But man, I think God wants life for us. 
And that's the song we need to sing because I think our world is singing all about romance. But do we know that God sings the first song about romance and the best song about romance? We need to put his song on our playlist first and hit repeat and judge every other song we hear. Say, does that line up with the song that God sings about romance and sex? We learned that her lure is uh, her smooth words, um, not necessarily even her looks, and that her uh, house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain. He's saying, danger, my son, danger, my daughter. Don't walk those paths. I want what's best for you. And if we are walking any path of sexual sin, let wisdom save you. Let discretion Hear God's wisdom calling out to you that we would turn back because there's nothing good for us. There's nothing good for us outside of God's good design. We'll read the conclusion of of Proverbs 2. Uh, So, verse 20, you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. Verse 21, for the upright will inhabit the land. And those with integrity will remain in it. Verse 22, but the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. Early in the Bible, when we read references to the land, uh, it, is, it is talking about the promised land, the land of promise that God would lead his people into. But now they are in that land. So it's a bit hard for interpreters to to describe, well, what does this land that God is talking about? They're already in the land. But we see this. Here's what we know, that the upright, verse 21, the upright will inhabit or dwell in this land that God speaks of. I believe it, it, it's, it's good life. I believe it's God's blessing that the upright will inhabit and dwell in the land of God's blessing. And it could even refer to God's eternal land, that eternity with God, the upright, those who, who know him, who know the wisdom of God in Christ Jesus will inhabit the land and remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off or rooted out of this land the land of God's promise, the land of God's provision, uh, the the land of, of God's goodness that he offers us and even cut off from eternal life with God. There, there's words of, of uh, remaining and, and inhabit and remain versus cut off and rooted out. The Bible speaks uh, that we would be um, permanent. Uh, Psalm 1, not Proverbs, Psalm 1 talks about two different kinds of people. Those who delight in the law of the Lord, they will be like a tree that is planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, um, whose leaves do not wither, and whatever they do prospers. They are, and that tree is a, is a picture of permanence and of uh, being blessed and fruitful and, and benefiting others. Because they have rooted themselves in God's word, like a tree is rooted by streams of water. But the wicked, those who take the path of sinners and scorners and mockers, they are like chaff. You know what chaff is? It's a horrible chaff. Uh, It's that papery, kind of thin substance around a kernel. Um, and and, and And this isn't exactly it, but I think about peanuts. If you guys have ever eaten peanuts, and there's always sometimes that little wrapping and that you just, you just touch it and it blows away. And he says, you know, the wicked are like that. And that's not exactly chaff. There's another name for that. That's my best example. Um, the wicked are like that. There's no permanence. 
they're gone. They have no impact whatsoever. But let us be like a tree. Let us walk in the ways. The ways that walk in uprightness, those who walk in those ways will inhabit the land. They will remain. And I believe they will bear fruit. That is a life that God invites us to live. And so will you be a tree or will you be chaff? Before I pray, um, just to review, the Lord is offering security, safety, and protection by walking his path. And we have a high value for safety and protection. We get doorbells that have cameras on them, not just out of curiosity, but there's some safety involved in that and some good videos on on YouTube uh, as well. We pay money for things, uh, firewalls for our computer protection, something that provides safety, uh, something that guards, um, locks and alarms. Uh, I don't know if you lock your houses up here in, in Hume Lake or not. Where I live, we lock our house. We lock our car. I just bought a bike. I used to ride a 1982 Schwinn, 82 Schwinn. You know, I locked that thing up with a cable lock. No one's ever touched it. Someone uh, invested. They bought me a nice bike. And so I went and got the best lock I could, a lock that will give you up to $1,500 if that lock is broken and they take your bike. Everywhere except Manhattan. They will not secure it in Manhattan because I think that's the, you know, the capital of, st- of bike thefts. But I put it on my bike for protection and safety. I drink vitamin C in the morning to keep me safe from whatever you know, might make me sick. Special gloves and chaps and face protection when I'm using a chainsaw. Safety, we care about this. Safety lights and reflective gear. You want safety? You want security? God watches over the upright. He is our protection. Not meaning that we won't walk through difficulty, but man, there is. we will sleep at night. And what did we learn at the end of chapter one? Whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Disaster might come, but we don't dread it. Next, I think we talk maybe tomorrow night about, about sleep. That those who walk in the ways of the Lord, that, that God gives sweet sleep to. God guards and watches over the course of the upright. And one way that God provides this protection is through transforming our character as we pursue his wisdom. And as we seek the knowledge and the wisdom of God, he strengthens us to make better choices. I'll pray. Art, I think you have our final word tonight. And Father, may we treasure up your commands. May we value your wisdom. And I pray that each one of us, from the youngest to the oldest, Father, would seek to grow in your wisdom, that we would call out, that we would look for it as for silver, as for hidden treasure, that we might understand the fear of the Lord and that we might find the knowledge of God. For Lord, you give wisdom and it is from your mouth comes knowledge and understanding. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray, who is the wisdom of God, we pray in his name, amen.